Uh, turn in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. So uh, if you open up uh, your Bible kind of right in the middle, you'll find Proverbs or Psalms, uh, one of the wisdom books in the Bible. And uh, we're going to be throughout the book of Proverbs today. So just kind of open it up to Proverbs and then follow along uh, as we kind of make our way through. Uh, we are in part four of a, of a short five-part series called Money Wise. And we've been investigating what uh, God's wisdom in the book of Proverbs has to tell us about money. And uh, what we've discovered thus far is that it has quite a bit to say. And uh, it's going to continue to have uh, even more to say to us today as we look at uh, priorities. Today we're going to take a look at money priorities. That is, what does the book of Proverbs say about the priority in which we spend and save and uh, use our money? What are the priorities that we should have with uh, that which is in our wallet and in our bank accounts? What should we do with it? What, what should matter most? What should we prioritize? And so money priorities is where we're going to be, uh, the book of Proverbs. So let's pray, and then we'll jump right in. So if you would pray with me one more time. Father, we pray that you would bless your word. We pray that you would bless the reading of it, the hearing of it, the preaching of it, and uh, the, the doing of it. Father, I pray in particular today, uh, as we examine uh, the priorities that we should have with the money that you've entrusted us, may we be found to be good stewards. Father, we recognize that all that we have is from you. You own uh, the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything in this world belongs to you. And as Christians, you give some of it to us so that we might rightly use it, both for our needs and for the good of the kingdom and for the good of others. And so help us, help us to learn. I pray that this teaching today would be biblical and practical and very helpful to all of us, as money is something that we deal with every day. And it's a matter of our heart. It it is a reflection of what we love. And so help us to reflect your priorities with how we use our money because we love you and we want to do the we want to use the money the way that you have tell you tell us to and so help us we need your grace holy spirit be among us i pray that you would um, open our hearts and our minds to the teaching of this word and all of god's people said in the name of jesus Amen. Uh, well, I discovered, I got online and discovered that deer season here in uh, Illinois is rapidly approaching. I don't know if any of you are hunters or not. Uh, if you are, you didn't have to look on the internet to find out when deer season was, like I did. Uh, but deer season is quickly approaching, and so I found a story that I, I thought would be an appropriate way uh, to begin our sermon this, uh, this morning. There was a group of friends that went uh, deer hunting, and they paired off in twos for the day. So two of them went one way, and two of them went the other. Well, that night, one of the hunters returned alone. And as he returned alone, he was staggering under the weight of an enormous eight-point buck. And uh, the two that were waiting for him were uh, excited to see him carrying this this buck. And they were so elated that they almost forgot to ask about his partner. And so they said, hey, uh, where's Harry? You're, you're, You're coming alone with this deer. Where's Harry? And the man said, well, Harry had a, had a stroke. He had a heart attack of some kind, and he's a couple miles uh, back behind on the trail. To which the other two replied, you left Harry laying there on the trail, and you carried the deer back to us? To which he said, well, I figured that nobody was going to steal Harry. You know, the hunter obviously uh, had some misplaced priorities, And I fear that as we look at how we use our money, I think sometimes we can be like this hunter. We can also, at times, get things a little backwards. We can become a little confused about the priorities of life and the priorities, particularly 
as it deals with the money that God has entrusted us. So today in part four of Money Wise, we're going to learn about some priorities, God's priorities for our money. So if you're taking notes, jot down five things. Number one, two, three, four, and five, because the book of Proverbs gives us at least five priorities Five priorities that God gives us for using, spending, saving, and giving our money away. Uh, The first two are in a particular order, and the last three aren't. So number one, turn with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles open, turn with me to Proverbs, chapter 3. We're going to be flipping back and forth. If you don't have access to a Bible, the text should be back on the screen. Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, reveal to us the very first priority. And the first priority that we see here in Proverbs is that, number one, we should give to God. Number one, we should give a portion of that which God gives us back to him. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 through 10. So let's read this together, starting in verse 9. Solomon says this, honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits Mark that in your Bibles, notice that. With, with the first fruits of all of your crops, then what will happen? Number 10, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will be brim, brimming over with new wine. So the first thing that we get, the first priority that we see from the book of Proverbs is that we should make it a priority to first and foremost give to God. Notice the author says, give, give to the Lord, honor the Lord with your wealth. And he gives us a particular way to do that. Notice he says, with the first fruits of your crops. So in an agricultural society, much like ours is today, uh, what God told the Israelites was this, listen, when you first get into the fields, when you're first getting the harvest, what I want you to do is to take the very first of that which I have given you in the field, and I want you to take that very first portion of the harvest, and I want you to sacrifice it to me. I want you to give it to me. Now, let me ask you that. Uh, Those of us who aren't farmers, we don't quite understand that, but for some of you who are, would that take some faith? Would that be difficult for you to do? To take that which is the very first of the harvest, right? And to say, Lord, I trust that you're going to provide through the rest of the harvest. I trust that you're going to meet my needs through the rest of what you bring in. And so the very first of what you give me, I'm going to give back to you. That's a difficult thing, isn't it? That's hard for a farmer to do. And folks, it's hard for us to do as well. As Christians, as those who follow God, that is the first priority, that we take what, a portion of what God has given us and we give it back to him, trusting in faith that the rest of what he gives us will be sufficient for our needs. It's difficult, and yet notice the overwhelming promise that God gives to Israel here. And this is a general truth. When we do this, when we make giving to God first, when that becomes the priority, when we say, this is my paycheck, and I'm going to give this much, whatever it is that you determine, I'm going to give this amount, this set amount, and I'm going to set it aside to give to the Lord, and I'm not going to touch it. It's reserved for God. Generally speaking, that's what the Proverbs are. They're general truths. Notice verse 10. What what does God say will generally happen? Then your barns will be filled with overflowing and your vats will be uh, brimming over with new wine. Herb talked about this last Sunday, that generally speaking, the proverb says that one of the ways, one of the ways that you accumulate wealth is by giving it away. 
It's ironic, but that's what Proverbs says in at least two or three places, is that the generous person is generally the person that God blesses. And so first of all, the first priority is to give to God. So Eric Reed did a study. It's from, the, it's from Leadership Magazine, and his short article is called Where the Money Goes. In that short article, there's all sorts of interesting facts about church and church giving, but one particular stat stood out to me, and, and this is that stat. Eric Reed says this. He said, approximately, from the research that he has done, approximately one-third to one-half, so 33% to 50% of U.S. church members financially support their church. So let that sink in just a bit. 33% to 50% of those people sitting in everyday pews, just like we have here today, not at any time, ever, ever give to support the church. And the reason that stood out to me is because I said, this should not be so. If only 33% or half of the people who come to church make giving to God, giving back to God a priority, there's no wonder that churches are struggling to pay pastors and to meet their bills and to do ministry. So what about you? Do you give regularly to the church, to the mission of Christ, to his missionaries, to his ministries? Even more so, do we give to the Lord first? This takes great faith, but from practice and from experience, I've never, I've never regretted doing this. I've never regretted saying, this is what I'm going to give, and I'm going to give it first to the Lord, and the rest of it will work itself out. And it always has. Do you give to the Lord first? Or do you cover your own needs, and then your own wants, and then give with what might be left over? God says, the first money priority is to give to me as a matter of faith. Number two, number two, Not only should we give to God, but we should use the money that God entrusts us to meet our needs, to meet our own needs. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's a completely legitimate and biblical use of our money to meet the needs that we have. So if you're in Proverbs, turn with me to the very uh, end of Proverbs, Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31. You may be familiar with Proverbs 31 because there you get the, quote, proverbial Proverbs 31 woman. Uh, when we were back, back when I was single, we would all say, hey, we want a P31. And that meant we want a woman like this, right? A Proverbs 31 woman. And what we see uh, from this Proverbs 31 woman is that part of what she did was she worked to meet the needs of her family. You really see it throughout the section. I'm just going to read two, of the, two, two verses. Verse 15. It says this, she gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. Jump ahead now to verse 27. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat, excuse me, does not eat the bread of idleness. So in the book of Proverbs, we see that the wise and godly woman helps to meet the needs of her family. And what is subtle in the book of Proverbs is clear in 1 Timothy 5. You don't have to turn there, but Paul says this, but if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. 
And so Proverbs kind of subtly says we need to use part of what God has given us to meet our own needs. Paul in 1 Timothy says it explicitly. It's good and right to use the money God has given us to meet our own needs. However, here's the ironic thing. Here's the irony is that oftentimes priority number one and priority number two get reversed. That is, we meet our own needs first and then we give to God, right? We say this is what we need and we, we do that and then if there's anything left, then we're going to give back to the Lord. In addition to that, we are all guilty of making our wants into our needs, are we not? Have, ha, I don't know how many times I've said, shall I said, should we get this? Should we buy that? And I say, yeah, we need that. And then I think, do we need that? <laughs> or do I just want it? And uh, that's a difficult thing. And it's, it's not wrong to purchase our wants. That's not what I'm saying. But what Proverbs says is, first and foremost, we give to the Lord, then we use the money that God entrusts us to meet our needs. However, we think other things are needs, like cable. We need cable. We have to watch football. The Bears are playing at noon. I'm aware of this, right? We need that, right? We need that. We need the newest iPhone with, of course, the expensive data plan. We need that. We need brand name clothes, don't we? We need bigger TVs. We need newer model cars. I could go on and on, right? It's not wrong to spend on our wants, but we spend on our needs first. So we give to the Lord. We spend money on our needs. Number three, here's the third priority that God says in the book of Proverbs, and it's this. We pay our debts. We pay our debts. Turn with me now back to Proverbs chapter 3. We're going back and forth. Proverbs chapter 3. The book of Proverbs has quite a bit to say about debt. We're just going to spend a a brief moment examining one or two of these passages. Proverbs chapter 3 says this, verse 27 through 28. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. So first of all, Proverbs just generally says when we owe someone money, we should pay it, right? Plain and simple. When, when, we, uh, when we owe someone money, when we purchase something, we should pay for it. But it, it goes beyond that. Proverbs 22.7. If you want to turn there, you can. I'll read it very quickly. Proverbs 22.7 warns especially against the dangers of taking on debt that we cannot repay in a timely manner. Notice what it says. It may be a familiar verse, in particular if you went through Dave Ramsey's uh, course with us. Proverbs 22.7. It says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is what? Say it, church. The borrower is what? Slave. The borrower is a slave to the lender. Now, on that day it might have actually literally enslaved you. In our day, we're not literally enslaved, but we are enslaved to our creditors, right? We are enslaved to our mortgage company or the credit cards. There is a financial slavery that comes when we borrow money that we cannot pay back in a timely manner. Folks, I did a little research, and uh, what Dave Ramsey says uh, is um, confirmed by the research that I did. So let me just throw some numbers at you really quick. In America, debt is a huge problem. 
there was a 2013 report that was released by GoBankingRates.com that found this. Here are just some simple statistics. Number one, the average American is more than $225,000 in debt. So just let that sink in. $225,000 in debt and having less than $500 in their savings. That's not a pretty financial picture. Number two, the average credit card debt. Anybody want to take a guess? $15,000. The average credit card debt here in America is $15,000. The average mortgage debt is roughly $150,000. The average student loan is about $30,000. And here's the kicker. George Barna, in one of his recent studies, says this, that 33% of American born-again Christians... So those who say that they have had a born-again personal experience with Jesus. 33% of U.S.-born Christians say, and I quote, it is impossible for us to get ahead in life because of the financial debt that they have incurred. So what that means is that one-third of the American church is a slave to the lender, is what that says. And so this is a huge deal. What can we do? What can we do? I'm no Dave Ramsey, but here's some things that he says, right? Six things, five things, excuse me, jot these down. No, six. Jot them down. Six things that Dave Ramsey says we can do to get out of debt. We'll go through them quickly. Number one, pursue getting out of debt with what he calls gazelle-like intensity. Gazelle-like intensity. If you've seen the videos, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, well, you're about to, because let's roll the film. This is what Dave says using another proverb about pursuing financial freedom uh, with gazelle-like intensity. Let's run it. Wisdom, right? And so I'm reading through Proverbs, and I have Proverbs 6, 1 through 7. And it says, if you've signed surety, my son, do this. Now, that's old English Bible talk for if you've gotten into debt, here's the plan. Now, I had a spiritual experience with God a few years ago. I discovered God is smarter than me. (laughs) And so when I see a formula like that pop up in front of me, my ears perk up. If you've gotten into debt, do this. And I got my, I'm like, oh, here it is. Here's the biblical answer for how to get out of debt. Wow, I'm ready. It says, give no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids, and deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, a bird from the hand of the fowler. Now, some of you are very reverent in your interaction with God, and he tolerates me. It's called grace. And and so I'm sitting there reading this, and I'm like, you were going to tell me how to get out of debt and how to get people out of debt, and you give me animal metaphors. What am I supposed to do with gazelles and birds? Really? Come on. Nothing. Crickets. Can't hear a thing, right? So that night he answered my prayer. I was scanning the channels and I hit the discovery channel and there were the gazelles. They were out there gazelling around. And I'm like, hey, I was just reading about you guys. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, a bird from the hand of the fowler. This is how you get out of debt. I thought, that's pretty cool. And and you know the Discovery Channel was not there if if the gazelles were there by themselves, don't you? You know someone else was there looking for lunch in all the right places, don't you? You know? And the gazelles, I don't know if you know this, they have a cheetah detector behind their ear and they go, Cheetah! Run! 
Because the gazelles know that they cannot outrun the cheetah. The cheetah is the fastest mammal on dry land. He can go from zero to 47 miles an hour in four leaps. The gazelle cannot outrun the cheetah. And we had to slow this down so I don't have time to talk. <laughs> this bad cat is seriously fast. And, and the, these gazelles, man, they are running for their lives. That's what they're doing. Look, he picked out a college student. Hey, kid. Hey, kid, come here. Hey, kid. Kid, you need to build up your FICO score. Hey, kid. You'll never get a cell phone if you don't have a credit score. Come here. Come here, kid. Come here, kid. I got a free T-shirt for you, kid. Come here. Let me tell you, God says this is how you get out of debt. You got to run for your life. You got to put it in gear. You got to run, 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 run. You got to bust it. You got to bust it. You got to go like your life depends on it. Have gazelle intensity. You got to put it in gear like you've never put it in gear. You can wander into debt, but you cannot wander out. You got to have this sense of passion, this sense of attack. Here's an interesting thing God does not make mistakes with metaphors. As I got to studying this, it's very, very interesting. The cheetah only catches the gazelle, even though the cheetah is faster, he only catches the gazelle. One out of 19 chases. Hmm. I got to thinking, I wonder why that is. And then it hit me. Motivation. <laughs> one guy's trying to have lunch. The other one's trying to stay alive. <laughs> you got to have this sense of gazelle intensity to get out of debt. When you get that stuff boiling up inside of you, when you have what Les Brown says, he says, when, you've been, when you change your life, when you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, when you get disgusted and you have that moment where you say, I've had it. I am not going to live like this anymore. This is the last Ramsey in this family tree that's ever going to have one of those collectors call our house unless it's a wrong number. We're done. We're changing this thing. You've got to have that sense of power. So I decided I'd let Dave yell at you because I can't. So uh, <clears throat> number one, gazelle-like intensity. Jot these quick, real, uh, jot these down really quickly. Number two, uh, stop borrowing more money. So Dave uses the analogy, listen, you can't get out of a hole if you're still digging, right? And so if you want to get out of debt, you need to stop borrowing money. And for most of us, what that means is that we need to limit or maybe even get rid of our credit cards, Oh, that's hard to do, but that's just an idea. Number three, find ways to save. That is, find ways to save more money. We're going to talk about that here in just a minute. Number four, sell something. So most of us, when we go into our garage or our attics, what do you have there? Things that you really need and you use every day, right? No. You have junk, right? Or maybe it's valuable, junk, but it's junk. And, but it is valuable because you can sell it. There are things now called like eBay and Craigslist and garage sales, uh, other things like that. You can sell your stuff, get a little bit of cash. Number five, get a part-time job or maybe seek overtime. Number six, use what Dave calls the debt snowball method. There's an image behind me, and I'm not going to take much time, but it's a, a, a good thing that he talks about using the debt snowball method. Basically, this is what you do. 
You take your debts and you list them from the smallest debt to the largest debt, and you place in order the smallest to the largest according to the balance. So in this example, right, you have the target card, the car payment, and the student loan. You list it, right? This is the total payoff. This is how much I owe. And then the next one, you list the minimum payment. Basically, the way the snowball works is this. Once you pay off the first debt by paying the minimal payment, you pay off the first debt, you add that payment to the next debt on your list. Notice that's what they did. They took the $25 minimum payment on target. They added it to the already $350 payment that you're making for the car, and you start to pay off the car a little bit more quicker and quicker until everything is done. Now, it sounds very simple. I can say it in 30 seconds. Doing it takes a lot of time, but it's a smart way to pursue, at least make some progress towards getting out of debt. So, We've seen three things we can move on, three priorities. We give to God, we meet our own needs, we pay off our debts. And number four, we help the poor. We help the poor. Proverbs 19, turn there if you want to. Proverbs 19, verse 17. In fact, uh, when I went through the Proverbs, there were literally six or seven or maybe even eight Proverbs that talked about helping the poor. It's not something that God just doesn't really care about. God cares a lot about those who are wealthy, helping the poor. It's our personal responsibility to do that. Proverbs 19, verse 17. I I read a story that I thought was was fitting. There was a story of a a notorious penny pincher, a miser, who was once called on by the chairman of a a local community charity. And he said, Sir, um, our records show that despite your tremendous wealth, you've never once given to our charity. Well, the the rich man replied, well, do your records show that I have an elderly mother that was left penniless when my father died? Um, Well, well, no. Uh, Do your records show that I have a disabled brother that is unable to work at all, sir? Uh, uh, No, sir, it, it doesn't. Well, do your records show that I have a widowed sister with small children and she can barely make ends meet? No, sir, they don't. Well... Our records don't show any of those things, the man replied. Well, said the miser, if I don't give to any of them, why should I give you anything? You know, God, uh, God cares about the poor. 1917, he who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord. Did you catch that? He who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord. And he, that is God, will repay him for his good deed. Wow, that's amazing. Every time you and I help somebody who's poor, who are we actually giving to? God. We're actually giving to God. That's amazing. We can do this in lots of ways. Number one, individually. So we, just, we can be aware of the individual's family members uh, around us who might have needs. Maybe they are families that your kids go to school with. Maybe it's somebody here in the church. And if we just like talk to people, you might actually find out they have some financial needs that you can meet. It's, it's about community. Number two, you can do this by simply giving to the church. You, know, you can give money to this church and you can designate it benevolent so that then our deacons know when we get a benevolence request, and we get them fairly regularly, we can look in the bank and say, somebody's given money to meet this benevolence request need, and we can do that. Number three, charities. There are a million Well, maybe not a million. There are lots of good charities, right? And so uh, you can give to people like Salt and Light down in Champaign. You can give to, or participate even, ask Dennis. You can be a part of Habitat for Humanity, Samaritan's Purse. Campus Crusade has a ministry called GAIN, Global Aid Network. And these ministries not only help poor people, but they share the gospel as well. So I would recommend those to you.
Number five, the final priority that we see in Proverbs is saving. So we give to God, we meet our own needs, we pay our obligations, we help the poor, and then number five, we save. Uh, Proverbs has lots to say about the importance of saving money. Two things, jot this down. Number one, Proverbs commends saving money for our expected future needs. So let me ask you a question. If you look at the next year, if you look at the next five years, can you look and say, you know, I think we're going to have these expenses, this one and this one and this one and this one. Of course we can. Paying taxes, getting a new car, school clothes, braces for the kids if your kids' teeth are all messed up, college, weddings, etc. Right? We can look and say, there's a good chance that I'm going to need this money in the future. Notice what Proverbs says. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8 says this. Go to the ant. So he points us towards the life of the ant as an illustration of saving. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. Yet, what does it do? It stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. In other words, what what is it saying? If an ant is smart enough to look ahead and say, I might have a future need here when the winter rolls around. I should save something then should we be smart enough to do the same? That's what the Proverbs is saying. Look ahead, anticipate future needs. Number two, the Proverbs also commends saving for unexpected future needs. So there are some things that we can look ahead and say, yeah, I'm going to need this, 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 and this. But there are some things, and we all have been there, right? There are some things that we're just going along, life is rolling along, you're driving your car, and clank, 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 smoke. Oh boy, right? Unexpected future needs. The, the transmission falls out of your car like happened to me about a year ago. The tr- drive it along, transmission, it does not work anymore, right? Uh, have you had those things happen to you before? Yes, of course, we all have. So number, uh, number 15, verse 15, uh, Proverbs 10 says this. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. What he's saying is that there's a sense in which when you build up wealth, it is like a fortified city. It doesn't protect you from all unexpected things, but it can protect us from some unexpected future things. So how do we do that? Well, I think we can work on saving money. How do we, how do we work on saving money? Uh, Pastor Sid Lick, he su- suggests the following. He says, number one, Use older technology and older style. Oh, for some of us guys, older technology, oh, that's hard. For some of us ladies, older style, oh, that's hard. Sales, coupons, buying generic instead of brand name, fixing things instead of replacing things. I'm bad at that because I can't fix anything, right? Budget and keep it. Listen, if you don't hear anything from this sermon, here's my nugget of advice. Do a budget. Do a budget. Look at it. Know where your money is going, because if you don't know where your money is going, how can you save it? You don't know where it's going. Do, do a budget. Fix instead of replace. Wait longer before shopping trips. Buy in bulk. Downsize instead of up, upsize. Less entertainment. Use cash. Boy, studies have showed that when we swipe that card, what do we do? We spend more money because it's a lot easier to swipe the card than to count out $20 bills. So that's one way you can get uh, by with saving money. I want to show you one more image and we're going to be done. Oftentimes, when it comes to saving money, the little decisions in life add up. 
So let me, let me commend to you, and this is hard. I don't do this very well. But it's the little things in life that can help us save money. Uh, Dave Ramsey suggests that we start by building a $1,000 uh, unexpected need uh, account, right? So we save up $1,000 in case something goes wrong. And then when we do that and we pay off our debts, then we pursue saving three to six months worth of living expenses. And that will go a long way. So it's the little decisions that make uh, a big deal. Uh, so if you buy a bottled water every day, uh, let's say every work day, $2 uh, per pop, uh, in a matter of a month, you're going to spend $60. That doesn't sound that big a deal. But what if you were to take that $60 a month and invest it at 12%? Okay, 12%, that may be a little bit high, okay? He's thinking long-term, 12%. Shoot, let's make it 10%, right? It doesn't matter. The point is, if you take that money from uh, age 16 to 76, a long period, look what you get. $7 million. Good night. What about coffee? Starbucks fans? I love Starbucks, I'll admit it. I love to buy $5 coffees. If you were to do that, one per day, $150 per month, look at that, 19 mil. What about lunch? How many of you eat out every day for lunch? Uh, when you could eat a bologna sandwich for lunch, $8 a pop, $160 per, per month, some $2 million that you could save. And the point is this, is that if we want to save money, daily decisions have a huge impact. So... I heard a story from a prospective father-in-law. Maybe I'll be there someday. Maybe maybe you've been there. Your daughter wants to get married. Maybe she's engaged. And this father-in-law was uh, talking to the daughter's suitor. And he asked this question. How much money do you have in the bank? Good question to ask somebody who wants to marry your daughter. How much money do you have in the bank? Although I'm glad my wife's father didn't ask me that when I was getting married. How much money do you have in the bank? And the young man said, well, I don't know. I haven't shaken it lately. Mm, Not the answer that you want. So folks, here's the point. We wouldn't want to entrust our daughter to someone who is not faithful in the area of money, would you? No, probably not. So let me ask you this. Why would God entrust his kingdom's work to us if we are not faithful in the area of money. Luke 16, 10, Jesus says this, whoever can be trusted with, a very, with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And Jesus' point is simply this, Do you want God to use you? Do we want to make an impact on the world, in the church, in our community, in our family? Do we want to be impactful? Do we want to be faithful in that? Then the question, one of the questions we should ask is, are we faithful in money? Are we faithful with these priorities? Because if we are, then there's a good chance you're going to be an effective Christian. And if you are not, then Jesus says, your impact will be little. So, five priorities of money. How are you doing with them? Let's pray. Father, thank you for all that your word has to say. It's chock full of very wise, true, real, applicable things. Father, we all have fallen short in these areas. We all need help. We all need to grow in these areas. And so give us grace. Convict us. Encourage us. Challenge us. We want to be faithful in that which you've given to us. We want to have the priorities that you have for our money. 
so that we might be faithful in the very little thing of money and also faithful that you might entrust us with the very true riches of working for your kingdom. We ask it in the name of Jesus. And God's people said, amen.